This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. Monsters come in many shapes and sizes and from every culture around the world. But the scariest monsters are the ones that live among us. They look like your neighbor or your friend. But don't be mistaken, they're pure evil. They hunt on our streets and in our schools and we are their prey. These monsters lust for power, fear, and blood. They are greedy and gluttonous and can never get enough. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. Today we're discussing the Oni, a demonic Japanese yokai that has terrified people for over a thousand years. It has superhuman strength and a passion for suffering. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes too. The more we get, the more we grow and hopefully the more monsters we can explore. If you'd like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. The long walk home from school used to bring Mika peace after her day of studies at Yayami High School. It was her time to unwind and let loose the thoughts of equations and facts that filled her head during the school day. But these days, Ishigaki, Japan wasn't as safe a place as it had once been for young girls traveling alone. In the last six months, seven girls had disappeared from roadsides and a few had disappeared while on the crowded ferry that traversed from the islands to the mainland. There was talk of serial killers and demons amongst the kids at school, and even the parents discussed it in hushed tones when they thought the kids weren't listening. 
Mika was constantly looking over her shoulder. Every sound of footsteps nearby made her jump. Today she was meeting Yuto after he finished with his judo training. He had fallen behind on his studies and she had promised to help him catch up. They had been neighbors and best friends since they started school. She always felt much safer when he was with her. In the last two years, he had grown to stand at least six inches above her height of five feet five inches. He had become quite a fighter too, thanks to his practice. So his skill paired with his size made him a reassuring presence to have around, now that the city had become such a scary place. She was relieved to have Yuto walking her home. He knew she was scared, but he never mentioned it or teased her about it. Mika was sitting on a bench in the schoolyard, waiting for Yuto, while a street vendor was pushing his cart past the school. It was usual to see this same man peddling his popular baked sweet potatoes to the kids after school. He had been doing it for a few years now. She wasn't fond of the potatoes, but he did have a nice selection of fish-shaped pastries that she loved. Normally, she'd be one of the first students in line at his cart, but for some reason, she was wary even of him at this point. The criminal that was snatching young girls could be anyone. Mika looked away when he held up a fish-shaped pastry and waved it in the air at her with a wide, toothy smile. She could feel his stare as it burned into her, and she felt guilty for avoiding the man, who was most likely innocent of any wrongdoing. Mika! She heard Yuto yelling from across the schoolyard. Relief washed over her that he had rescued her from that awkward moment. She saw him sprinting towards her, and she grabbed her backpack and waved at him. Have you been waiting long? He asked as he reached her and grabbed her backpack, slinging it over his shoulder next to his own. Mika blushed at the gesture. She wasn't sure when she had stopped seeing Yuto as her annoying friend. The change had caught her off guard. Lately, she felt the flutter of butterflies in her stomach when he was near, and his touch always caused the blood to rush to her cheeks. She hoped he didn't notice. I haven't been waiting long. I just got here. She answered softly. Come on, she said as she grabbed him by the shirt sleeve. We have a lot of studying to do. As Yuto obediently followed her, the street vendor followed her with his eyes as well. He had been watching her for some time and patiently waiting to catch her alone. She would be the perfect addition to his collection. He had almost a dozen now. The perfect set. Yuto fell into step next to Mika. They had been inseparable since they were very small. He couldn't imagine spending one day without her. He watched the wind wrap her hair around her face, but he had no idea that he wasn't the only one watching her. He wished that he could be those hairs if only for a moment, touching her eyebrow, her cheekbone, her lips. When did he stop seeing his best friend as his favorite playmate? and start seeing her as the young woman she had become. Yuto felt ashamed at the direction his thoughts had led him, bringing a rise in protectiveness to his thoughts. If he felt this way, there could be others who did as well. This was even more the reason he must protect her. He followed Mika as they walked the same familiar path to her home that they had for years. He caught her when she stumbled on the curb and almost fell. You're so stupid. You would fall in a ditch and die if you didn't have me. 
He laughed teasingly as he grabbed her by the wrist and pulled her closer to him. When they reached her house, he followed her inside, ducking beneath the laundry hanging in the yard and blowing in the wind. He grabbed her by the shoulder as she reached for the door. Mika, he began, you need to be careful. I have to go to a tournament soon, and I won't be here to walk you home. I will. She made sure to sound annoyed, but she actually had forgotten that he would be gone, and she instantly felt dread at the idea of walking home alone. When are you leaving? She asked. Monday evening, right after class. They'll have a bus waiting on us at the school. He had tossed his books down under her bed and dropped down onto the floor. Well, we better study extra hard tonight because I'm sure you'll forget half of it before you get back. She teased as she joined him in the floor. They studied until dark and then stopped to make ramen before studying some more. Mika's mom and dad both worked late during the week, but they wouldn't mind that he was still there. They loved Yuto. When Mika began yawning repeatedly, Yuto decided it was time to go home. Mika walked him to the gate that led out to the street and watched him walk away until he disappeared around the corner. She turned to walk back into the house when she had a strange feeling that caused her to turn and look back to the street. Standing across the road in the shadow of her neighbor's house was a man. She couldn't make out his features, but she could feel his eyes on her. Mika hurried into the house, shutting the door and locking it behind her. She had been really jumpy lately, nervous even, but the man standing in the shadows was not just her imagination. She turned out the lights and crept over to the window and pulled the curtain aside just enough to peek out. He was still there. She watched as he lit a cigarette and was about to step out of the shadow when her mom's car pulled into the drive. He stopped suddenly and stepped back. When her mom got out of the car, he tossed his cigarette onto the ground, then turned and left. When her mom came inside, she tried to tell her that she thought someone was following her, but she just brushed her aside. You're just being paranoid. You scare too easily. Remember when you were 10 and you thought the clown at the mall was trying to kidnap you? How did that end? I can tell you. It ended with you almost getting the poor man arrested by screaming at the top of your lungs when he tried to give you a balloon. Mika should have known her mom wouldn't listen. She hung her head and went to her room and didn't bring it up again. She had nightmares that night. She dreamed that she was being chased through the streets by a dark man with no face. She ran home, but the door was locked. She woke up drenched in sweat. She didn't know how she'd get through a whole week without Yuto, but she definitely wouldn't be out alone at night. When Monday rolled around, Mika made sure her backpack was not loaded down at the end of the day. It would be easier to run if she wasn't carrying a bag full of books. She left the school quickly and made her way down the street, looking over her shoulder every so often. She was relieved when she reached her block. Her house wasn't far now but she stopped suddenly when she saw the same street vendor that was usually in front of her school. He had his cart parked in front of the house right before hers. Maybe her mom was right. Maybe she was paranoid. Mika straightened her back and took a deep breath, 
determined to walk past the street vendor bravely. The man smiled when he saw her headed his way. Mika tried not to make eye contact until she was close enough to give him a polite nod and then keep going. But the man stepped in front of her and extended his hand with a fish pastry in it. Fresh today, just for you, he spoke. Mika looked up at him to say no and was shocked by his face. She had always thought he was an old man, but he wasn't that old at all. She shook her head and said no politely as she tried to step around him. His smile disappeared instantly, and he tossed the fish pastry back onto the cart. He turned and Mika began to walk away. She thought she was in the clear. When he stepped in front of her again, his face was contorted. She couldn't describe it as anger. It was more like evil. His skin began to take on a red tint and his eyes grew larger. She could have swore that his teeth had begun to grow as well. They began to look like jagged fangs. She stepped around him again and began to walk away quickly. Then she heard his steps behind her. She could almost feel him. He was so close. She was about to break into a run when suddenly something wrapped around her face. She tried to breathe, but her nostrils were filled with the overpowering smell. It was like nail polish with a hint of fruit. She tried to fight, but as her lungs filled with the chemical, she lost strength in her limbs and began to slump. She felt his arms catch her and begin to drag her. She couldn't fight. She could barely think. Mika fell into utter darkness as the vendor opened a door under his cart and placed her there. Shutting the door, he looked around to make sure no one had witnessed his catch. He began humming as he steered the cart away from Mika's house and headed down the street. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more light-hearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Did you know that Japan is populated by supernatural creatures, also known as yokai? You may not be aware, but yokai, or supernatural beings, are common in Japan. The Japanese oni is an especially well-known demon in Japanese folklore among them. But what malevolent spirit is actually concealed behind it? Let's focus on this utterly horrifying creature. The oni resembles an ogre or a troll due to its enormous size, menacing appearance, brightly colored skin, and sharp fangs. It has a humanoid appearance with animal characteristics, such as two horns, strong claws, and occasionally boar tusks. But depending on the area, it appears differently. According to some stories, he can be red, blue, or green. He may also wear a tiger-hide loincloth or occasionally wear traditional attire. This polymorphous Japanese devil may alter his appearance to deceive people. Though Oni has been depicted in various ways in Japanese legend and art, sometimes also as women, they are characteristically thought of as pink, red, blue, or gray in color with horns, three toes, three fingers, and on occasion with three eyes. Oni usually possess one or two short horns, which are said to be that of an ox. This combination of ox horns and tiger skin is a play on Yushitora, the Japanese word for the direction north-northeast. Translated literally, Ushi means ox and Tora means tiger. According to Japanese folklore, this direction was considered to be ominous and was sometimes referred to as Kimon, or Oni's Gate. Sometimes Oni are depicted with a third eye on the center of their forehead. In other cases, an Oni may be Cyclops-like, with only a single eye. Oni typically have mouths with long, almost tusk-like canines. At the end of powerful limbs are clawed hands and feet. He is frequently depicted as holding a kanabo, a type of club with iron spikes to better torture his victims, in Japanese artworks such as paintings or prints. The Oni is a demonic yokai that has terrified people for over a thousand years. It has superhuman strength and a passion for suffering. According to Buddhist imagery, there are many Onis that torture individuals in hell. In addition, it's said that after passing away, a wicked person's spirit is reincarnated as a demon oni to serve Emma Dao, the ruler of the Buddhist hell. The oni eventually stays in the realm of darkness before coming back to earth to torture and consume people. As nature is, there are, however, certain exceptions. Some onis would be good and defend people. According to the Dungeons and Dragons world, onis are cousins to ogres but more intelligent, with innate spellcasting ability and capable of regeneration. Unlike, say, trolls, which can be prevented from regenerating by burning them with fire or acid. Oni regenerate regardless of what kind of damage they take or how much, short of killing them.
According to Japanese Buddhism, Oni constitute one of the six orders of life in the cycle of birth, death, and rebirth known as samsara. When a really wicked person dies, it's believed that they will either be reborn as or transformed into an Oni. In some tales, a person can become so wicked that they turn into an Oni even before they die. According to Shinto myths, a part of the soul of either a deity or a mortal, known as an Aramitama, can become an Oni if that person or deity has been insulted or wronged in some way. Oni are said to reside in Buddhist hell and are servants of the ruler there. There the Oni punish and torture others who have been wicked in their past life, but not wicked enough to transform into Oni themselves. These horrible punishments include peeling off skin, crushing bones, and frying the damned in a giant frying pan. They're also known to emerge from Buddhist hell in order to punish or terrify wicked mortals. In Japanese, the word oni is used to describe ghosts or spirits, before it came to be used to refer to the demon oni. It appears that this name was once used to designate all invisible creatures without difference. The oni were powerful good spirits, who guarded humankind from evil powers, and lived in the Japanese mountains, according to the earliest legends. After being incorporated into Buddhism, the Oni's reputation degraded through time, and they evolved into the vicious monsters we know today. He subsequently began to resemble Asian devils. A very well-known Japanese tale about two Oni who were friends, that wanted to befriend humans. In the tale, a red Oni makes sweets and friendly messages to post on his house in an effort to make friends with people. Yet, because Oni are notorious for being frightful and occasionally man-eaters, nobody went near them. In the end, he seeks advice from his blue Oni pal about what to do to let the humans know he is their friend. The blue Oni comes up with a plan. He'd pretend to be an evil Oni and attack the human village, and the red Oni could heroically come in and save the humans by chasing off the blue Oni. They enact this plan, and the red Oni befriends the humans like he wanted but he soon discovers that his Blue Oni friend hasn't shown up. So he heads to the Blue Oni's home to see if anything has occurred. He discovers a note from the Blue Oni who promises to avoid humans so that the Red Oni can continue to be friendly with them, as the humans would recognize him as the evil Oni that attacked. The Red Oni weeps at the conclusion of the tale after losing his old friend. In Japanese culture, the Oni is a symbol of aggression and bad fortune. In both art and writing, he draws disaster, calamities, and illness to himself. The northeast direction, which is the root of all bad luck in Japan, is also connected to it. According to the Chinese zodiac, this orientation is similar to the tiger ox. Because of this, Oni are often shown with horns, claws, or tiger skin. Ironically, the Japanese monster is also a symbol of luck and protection. The Oni mask is worn by Japanese people during the traditional Setsuban holiday. This mask is reputed to have the ability to deter bad luck and attract good spirits. Oni heads are used to adorn some shrines for the same reason. The Japanese devil appears frequently in no theater, a form of theater involving music, dance, and drama. To portray demonic characters, actors don a traditional Oni mask with an angry face. In the world of tattoos, mythological characters are quite popular. 
both in terms of appearance and significance. Some might be more suggestive of justice or protection, while some convey the evil and shadow aspect of the personality. Did you know that the Japanese Mafia originally used the Oni as a symbol of recognition? Oni tattoos were actually worn by a lot of Yakuza, as a symbol of the honor code's observance. In Japanese folklore, the Oni is a well-known character. He is honored during some traditional festivals. Japanese devils play a significant role in several artistic forms, including folk dances and theater, in addition to local myths and legends. An event called Onideko is held on the island of Sado, where Onis do dances to the beat of drums. It's an age-old ceremony used to ward off evil spirits and bestow good fortune on the community. The Japanese Oni, as was already mentioned, is also the focal point of Setsuban, a matsuri that marks the start of spring according to the lunar calendar. This well-known holiday drives demons from homes while bringing joy into them. We frequently see Oni in manga because they are such an integral element of Japanese culture. They serve as the primary adversaries in Demon Slayer. In the anime Hozuki's Cool-Headedness, the story follows the job of the Oni in Hell. In the anime My Love Story, the story of the blue and red Oni are referenced in a school play. In cartoons and TV shows, the Oni can be found in Lego Ninjago, Masters of Spinjitsu. The Oni appears as the 10th season's villainous faction. The monster can also be found in several video games, including Super Street Fighters and Tekken, where it goes by the name of Akuma. The Japanese Oni, as referenced in the Mortal Kombat series, appears in Dungeons and Dragons as well. A young man was born in a peach and sent to battle the demons of the island of Onigashima. This is the subject of the very well-known Japanese folktale, Momotaro. In reality, a Japanese Oni is more complex than a typical yokai. It would resemble a manifestation of human nature's dark side, more than a spirit. An Oni is something more than evil. It's depraved, vile, and wicked. Mika woke with a headache in a dark, unfamiliar place. She could hear water dripping and the room smelled like mold and mildew. She rubbed her eyes, trying to gain her sight, when she felt the cold metal collar chained to her neck. Her heart began to race as she began to remember. The street vendor had grabbed her, and now she was chained up, somewhere, waiting to be his next victim. She frantically looked around the room. She could make out some of her surroundings, it looked like a basement. There was one small window covered with an old newspaper. She jumped suddenly when she heard chains rattling from across the room. She tried to sink into the darkness of the wall behind her as she watched a small form rise up off the floor. It was a girl, close to her age. She was dirty and pale, but Mika recognized her. She had seen her picture on the news. She was one of the missing. But if she was here, where were the others? Mika tried to get her attention. Hey, are you okay? She whispered as loud as she could, not wanting to bring their captor into the room with the sound of her voice. 
the girl whimpered when she saw Mika across from her. She reached out as if begging for help, but she couldn't seem to talk. There was desperation in her eyes. I can't come to you. I'm chained to the wall, Mika told her. The girl leaned over and began to crawl towards Mika, and as she did, a small ray of sunlight caught her face, just as the chain caught around her neck and stopped her. Mika gasped when she saw that the girl's face was covered in blood. It was running down her chin and onto her neck. She was hurt, but Mika couldn't make out her injury. She reached for her, but as she did, the girl was yanked back with so much force that she practically flew across the room and hit the hard floor with a thud. I see you met your cellmate. She heard him before she saw him. Then he slowly stepped into the light. She's almost done. She's lost her fight and is no fun anymore. That's why I needed you, he told Mika as he drew closer. She looked around him to the girl that was laying in the floor gagging and choking on her own blood. She definitely seemed defeated. Her body and spirit were both broken. Mika swore to herself right then that she would not let him win without a fight. She was terrified, but the will to survive had awoken in her, causing her to have the determination of someone she didn't recognize. She stood up, straightened her back, and spoke. Then let her go. You have me now. You don't need her. Oh, but you're wrong, he hissed. I need you both. I have a hunger so strong that it can never be satisfied. I have to feed. I crave not only flesh, but fear. I will devour her bit by bit while you watch in horror. And when I'm done, I'll feed on you. Mika's resolve buckled some as his words sunk in. She backed against the wall and her mind raced. What could she do? She was so helpless, chained to a wall with no weapons in sight. And if she screamed, no one would hear her. She was sure of it. Mika looked at the girl again and began calling to her. Hey, get up and fight, she said desperately. The man laughed. She can't answer you. I cut out her tongue and had it for breakfast. The scream caught her by surprise as it escaped from her and filled the dark room. The man stepped closer until he was standing over her. She could feel his hot, stinking breath on her cheek. Your fear is intoxicating, he said. And then he stuck out his tongue and licked her cheek. Mika's knees buckled and she fell to the floor and began to cry. The man laughed down at her and then turned and left the room. She didn't know how long she had been down there, but she knew it had been at least five days. She had counted the sunsets each day by the ray of light that came through the window. The man only came to them once a day, but each time, he would cut pieces from the girl across the room, 
while Mika huddled in horror, sobbing. He took her fingers and her toes, each time carefully wrapping her wounds to preserve her life for a bit longer. The girl no longer moved or made sounds. She was in a catatonic stupor. Mika was slowly losing hope herself until she heard the girl gasping. She looked over towards her and she could see that the girl was convulsing. Her body arched and stiffened for what seemed like several long minutes and then she collapsed and went limp. Mika heard the girl's last breath leave her body. She was dead. Mika began to panic. He would come for her now. She jumped up, forgetting about the chain, and ran towards the girl's body. But when the chain tightened, she fell backwards. It hurt so bad she was afraid she had broken her neck. Not a bad idea now that she thought about it. She turned back to the wall where the chain was bolted in and pulled on it like she had many times before. But this time, a miracle happened. On the first pull, the bolt popped out of the wall. Mika stood there and stared at it for a moment, thinking she must have imagined it. She was free. But now she had to figure out how to escape this room. She heard the door open, and she scrambled back to her place on the floor. She sat in front of the hole in the wall to hide the fact that she was loose. He came in and looked down at the lifeless body on the floor and nudged the poor thing with his foot. He then snorted and looked towards Mika. Looks like your time has come, since your friend here decided to skip out on us. He began to saunter across the room towards Mika. She held the chain hidden behind her back. As he approached, his face began to change, the same as it had the day he took her. His skin began to turn red, and his eyes began to glow yellow. The muscles in his arms began to grow and bulge. The tips of his fingers turned to claws long and sharp. Two spikes began to protrude from the top of his head. He reached her and stopped long enough to sniff the air and inhale the scent of her fear. He closed his eyes to revel in it. That's when Mika took her chance. She swung the end of the chain with the large bolt still attached, and it caught him right across the cheekbone. He grabbed his face and let out an animalistic roar of rage. It had stunned him just enough that allowed Mika to run for the door. She summoned every ounce of speed she could and didn't look back. She ran through an old office room and through the next door. She found herself blinded by the sunlight, but she had to keep going. She could hear him tearing through the room behind her. She rounded the street corner. There were people everywhere staring at her. She didn't stop to ask for help, she just kept running. She recognized her surroundings. She was running right past her school. She continued, not even looking back when she heard someone yelling her name. When a hand grabbed her by the shoulder, she turned and began to fight, kicking and hitting for her life. Mika, calm down, it's me, Yuto. His voice finally getting through to her, 
she stopped, looked into his eyes, and then fell into Yuto's arms. He gently picked her up and carried her home. When Mika woke later, the police were there, her parents were there, and so was Yuto, who had not left her side. She told them everything she could remember, and they sent men to search the warehouse next to the school, but they found no trace of him or the other girls. Mika's parents agreed to let Yuto sleep on the couch because his presence seemed to be the only thing that could calm her. She couldn't sleep that night. She knew that the vile man that had kidnapped her knew where she lived. And she knew that he was more than just a man. He was a monster. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Destination Terror and Redwood Bureau. If you'd like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we discuss the Thunderbird, a supernatural creature of power and strength. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.